Welcome to Just One Q, the podcast where we explore the latest ideas in workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion in conversation with thought leaders and DEI experts. Each episode, I ask our guests just one key question highlighting their area of expertise in DEI. The goal is to leave you with the tools and insights that you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Dominique Attrell. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion educator and advocate working for the DEI and e-learning consultancy Dialectic in lovely Guelph, Ontario. On this week's episode, I am joined by Tara Azale. Tara is the founding partner of Clarity Group, a boutique HR consultancy that specializes in employee transitions, career coaching, leadership and organizational development, including DEI services, as well as workplace investigation and restoration. Prior to founding Clarity with her business partner, Kevin Barwin, in 2014, Tara had a long career in the staffing and recruitment industry as vice president and regional director of site development for what is now known as Altus Recruitment, one of the largest independent recruitment firms in Canada. Tara is a certified life coach, a certified resilience coach, and most recently has become a licensed and certified menopause champion and educator with Menopause Experts Group out of the UK. Her current focus is on bringing the conversation about menopause into Canada's workplaces. She is a mom of two girls, an avid community builder, and enjoys living small village life outside of Ottawa, Ontario. Hi, Tara. Good morning. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. So I'm very excited about this episode because the question that we're going to explore together today is... How should workplaces accommodate people through menopause? And, you know, in DEI land, we hear a lot about accommodating mothers and parents, pregnant people, people who are breastfeeding or chest feeding in the workplace. Uh, But we don't hear a lot about another very natural phase in many people's lifetimes, which is menopause. So why are we talking about this right now? Why is this conversation coming to the surface? Absolutely. It's my favorite conversation these days, as anybody who knows me will attest. And I think really what it comes down to, Dominique, is that I think, you know, we just finally hit the tipping point, like Mm -hmm. worldwide, women have hit the tipping point, right? We're, we're not prepared to stay silent anymore about Mm -hmm. menopause. And so menopause is finally, you know, having a moment, a long overdue moment, right? So and it's not just a moment, I hope, obviously, right? I hope this obviously continues. But there's this sort of growing movement of women who are are demanding to be heard and treated for symptoms that are driving us crazy, right? Yeah, yeah largely sort of been ignored by the medical community. And I think that the lack of research, the lack of training in the medical community, so the lack of knowledge and support in the medical community for so long, it's just been something that women have had to endure. Like pregnancy, I mean, menopause is just another phase of life, right? Yeah, so yeah. The, the difference is that pregnancy doesn't happen to every woman, right? Mm-hmm. But menopause does. So mm-hmm. women are spending a third, sometimes up to a half of their lives postmenopausal and sorry, but I'm not spending half of my life enduring, you know, anything for that, that, you know, period of time. Right. So I think it's just, it's born of a lot of frustration and women are standing up. That's great. Well, I mean, and I'm glad as, uh, as a younger woman who will one day face these challenges myself, I'm very glad that this conversation is happening. And I hope that change will start to happen at the corporate level, certainly. So it's interesting that you said that we're behind, even in terms of medical 
treatment for menopause, let alone how it affects people in the workplace, right? You'd expect the medical model to be first and then for the recognition to sort of trickle down into companies and various Mm -hmm. industries. So it's unfortunate for me to hear that even at the medical level, there's still sort of a degree of either pathologizing without treatment or that people are just told to endure symptoms of menopause that are quite challenging. I know from our previous conversations as well that in UK and in Australia, this conversation is a little bit further ahead. So there have been, the movements has sort of started in other places and it's just been slow to come to US and to Canada. Do you have any inclination as to why that might be? My personal theory is that it comes down to activism, right? Yeah. yeah. um, So, and I think our culture, our Canadian culture is very polite right? We have a reluctance to rock the boat. There's just a lot less activism. And I think a couple of key women uh, in the UK have stood up and started the ball rolling. Lorraine Kelly's one of them. So she's a really popular presenter on Britain's public broadcast TV network. And, um, and she wanted to address the issue, but she couldn't find guests who were willing to talk about it openly. Oh, wow. And so she basically turned the tables. She had a doctor on and had that doctor interview her about her own personal experience. And Britain loves its television, right? So, yeah. um, so that really started, you know, the ball rolling. There was another um, television presenter by the name of Davina McCall. Um, mm-hmm. And she, in 2020, she produced a documentary about her own menopause journey. And, um, and I think that started to really lift the taboo about talking about menopause in the UK. So much so that, that some of the doctors in the UK were starting to use the term the Davina effect around, you know, to describe patients basically whose midlife, you know, struggles actually started to make more sense to them. Right. So after having watched this show, right. So I think, you know, there's just a couple of key people and that's all it takes. That's for anything, any Mm -hmm. movement, right. It's one person or a couple of people who come together and say, okay, enough's enough. We need to do something about this. So I think maybe a combination of those things, like the politeness and the, you know, the fact that we just maybe, you know, and it could have been, it could have been somebody in Canada. Right. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't to, you know, initially, but since that time, of course, a lot of folks have, have stepped up. And of course you're seeing it all over social. You're seeing it. I mean, I can't open my Instagram or my TikTok feed without seeing somebody talking about menopause, right. Which is fantastic and a little bit dangerous too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but at least the conversation is, is out there. Right. Well, so, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad to yeah. hear that that's the case because I, I don't encounter a ton of, of literature or commentary about menopause. So I think it is something that is still, you, you might have to go looking for it is my understanding. And I have, you know, I create training about workplace DEI and it's still not a normalized part of the conversation. So I'm glad we're having this conversation today. And I want to acknowledge that there is definitely stigma and there is sexism, even within DEI and the topics that we sometimes choose to amplify and those that we choose to subtly ignore. And I'm really glad that this conversation is coming to the fore. I would love to spend some time just to hear your description of what the challenges of working through menopause or perimenopause are like without proper accommodation. So what might that be like as an experience for somebody? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, well, first of all, I think women not understanding kind of what's happening to them or not realizing that maybe some of the things that are happening to them 
are related to menopause, number one, and then are impacting their um, performance, right? So Mm. I think, you know, reduced work performance for starters is a biggie, you know, brain fog is real, right? Lack of sleep, you know, is a huge contributor, Um, Mm. higher anxiety, because of the lack of sleep and all of these things that like, it just escalates everything further in an exhausted body, right? So I think working without any support or education or accommodations can lead to more time away from work, right? Without an understanding of why, right? More sick days, less productivity, less confidence at Mm. work, right? So like if proper supports aren't in place, these things obviously can lead to problems in the workplace. And in extreme cases, women may choose to leave the workforce, right? Which Mm. totally derails their careers, their earning potential. Like there's so many things that, you know, are tied into that. And, And I think organizationally, I mean, companies are suffering, you know, companies will suffer, right? Like, you know, they're losing seasoned employees, they're losing institutional knowledge, they're losing leaders, they're losing role models, this is going to create a void, it's, you know, expensive, it sends a signal that, you know, menopause in the workplace don't mix, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't believe that that's how things have to be. So I think, you know, without proper accommodations, all of these things can create a perfect storm which leave women to feel like they don't, you know, have many choices. Right. Right. Um, and may, may, may choose to, to leave. So, yeah, I'm I so glad it's... you, I'm so glad you brought up this idea that the organizational cost of not having accommodations specifically okay. for menopause, given the seniority and the age of women who would be tempted to leave or who might have professional setbacks, because you're talking about women who have spent a lifetime at this point, you know, finally breaking into those senior roles. And a lot of that is still so hard won, right? Like leadership roles for women are still, we're still very much in the minority and it's difficult for women to achieve that level of status or leadership within a company. And so to finally get there only to be, uh, to feel like your competence is challenged by something that's happening to you physically and psychologically yeah, I can imagine how devastating that is personally, but also organizationally for sure. A hundred percent, right? Mm-hmm. The Harvard Business Review, there's an article that they put out in, in 2020 and they, and they talked about how, you know, menopause sort of intersects at that critical career stage, right? Because it's happening between 45 and, and 55 generally, right? Yeah. And, and that's the age bracket that women are most likely to move into top leadership positions, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like if we want to move the needle on the number of women in leadership roles and maintain their contributions to the organization's bottom line, we have to be more open about what menopause is and how it affects both individuals and organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll talk more about, uh, I want to ask you about accommodations in just a moment, but first I'd love to talk a little bit more about what menopause and perimenopause can contribute. Like, I feel like the conversation when we think about menopause, you know, we do think about a constellation of symptoms, we think about brain fog, we might think about hot flashes, and the difficulty that is, you know, navigating those changes. But I wonder if you could speak to just some of the good parts. Are there any good parts, any redeeming qualities, anything that comes out of being in that stage of life that is good for the individual and also good for organizations? Well, I think, I mean, you know, obviously 
the wisdom that comes with age, right? Mm-hmm. With aging. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's across the board. That's that's men and women, hopefully, you know, for most of us, right? So I think that accumulation, you know, of wisdom and experience is really important to organizations. I think women in middle ages, my own personal experience was that I lost the fear of speaking up and speaking up. Like, yeah, you know, when... When things feel like they're unraveling a little bit, you get really micro on, you know, the things that you can control, right? Yeah. And some things just aren't as important anymore. And some of those things are, you know, what other people think. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, yeah, a greater willingness for middle-aged women to, to speak up and speak out. And I think certainly the mentorship and coaching aspect of women in middle age in leadership positions um, to be able to coach younger generations so that they know what's coming and how to handle it, right? How do we navigate? How do we maneuver these challenges so that we can, you know, can better perform, um, stay with our organizations longer and, you know, have happier work-life balance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love this idea of sort of the boldness that might come with menopause. Something that has stuck with me for a while are, I heard this interview with Dr. Sharon Blackie, and she's an award-winning writer of fiction and nonfiction. And she wrote a book called If Women Rose Rooted, in addition to a whole bunch of other books. And she's a psychologist who specializes in neuroscience and narrative and also mythology and uh, Celtic studies. And she, uh, I'm going to read a quote from something that she said in this podcast interview, and it stuck with me ever since, but she said, menopause undoes us in various ways, not just physically, but psychologically. It's literally burning away all we thought once defined us, everything that we were clinging on to. Women begin to become aware of all of the ways in which we have not been listened to, the ways we have been sexually abused or harassed, or all of the stuff that happens to women in the culture today. At menopause, you can't hold in the anger anymore. <laughs> and so she, and I, like those words just stuck with me. And I, like, I th- it conjures sort of this idea of somebody who is full of sort of this righteous wrath and channeling that can be so powerful, right? Like you've got yeah. an opportunity to speak out for what is right and to turn your attention to sort of justice and equity. And I mean, depending on your role, that can be really powerful. And I think it does tie back into this idea of mentorship because you suddenly, you do want to, you care about making things right for the next generation and, and your support is there for them. Absolutely. Um, Oh, that's good. That's a beautiful, beautiful quote. And it's, you know, and it can be, if that wrath does not have, if it's not channeled and it doesn't mm. have where to go, it can make people's lives really miserable, not just the woman, but everybody around her, right? So, yeah. um, so it's important, like it's really, really important that women have channels, you know, f- for this and have the education and understand kind of what's going on and, and how to manage it. Yeah, I think it's a maybe a really cool way to for organizations and leaders to think about how to collaborate in terms of channeling that power and that that sort of righteous anger that comes from the season of menopause rather than enduring or having being the yes. target of it right like you want to be on on the right side of this person so that you can benefit from it rather than um you know 
have some of that anger or rage directed at you for mistreatment. So from there, I'd, l- I'd love to just talk about, okay, what can workplaces reasonably do to help their employees who are experiencing menopause? Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, my big thing right now, and again, this is obviously part of our business as well, but is education, right? Mm. So access to workshops, to coaching, to menopause-informed programs, right? EAP programs, obviously policies, you know, putting policies in place. You know, when it comes to women's work, the work that they're doing, maybe it's a change in job tasks, right? Maybe it's modifying specific duties so that the employee can continue to participate in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's a transfer to a less stressful work site or less stressful position. Maybe it's allowing for remote or hybrid work, which obviously, you know, is not unheard of these days, right? Yeah. So um, to, to lessen the stress associated with commuting to the office, right? Um, physical supports in the workplace, right? Climate control, mm-hmm. easy fans, right? Uh, yeah. Increased ventilation, access to cold water, yeah. you know, quiet areas for yeah. rest and refocus, right? Flexible work schedules, of course, that's a pretty easy thing to do. Time off for medical appointments, which may increase, you know, during this time, right? Um, You know, even things like allowing seniority to accrue during menopause-related absenteeism or reduced hours, right? Making sure that that doesn't get stopped in its tracks, right? And how about this? Maybe there's just a period where there's just a higher tolerance for a subpar level of productivity. Like maybe we just give people a break, right? And in severe cases, maybe it's, you know, tolerating kind of otherwise excessive absenteeism, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So maybe there's that short period in there where it's just a readjustment, right? Until the person can get things, you know, sorted. Yeah. Um, So it's a bit of humanity, I think, is really, I mean, we do it for, you know, we have all kinds of accommodations for other conditions, And why should this be any different, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that call out because we often think, oh, there's got to be a way to keep productivity, you know, perfect and untouched. And, you know, accommodations are there to ensure that people turn out the maximum amount of work so that, you know, but sometimes there is just that need for a bit of humanity and, and rethinking, you know, the whole arc of somebody's career and seeing them as a person who has things to contribute, but that will have periods of slowdown or of challenge. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting when I was, you know, thinking about having this conversation with you and I was thinking about accommodations and you obviously can spill in quickly to the area of human rights. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and around, you know, the language around sort of duty to accommodate, I found quite fitting, actually the Canadian human rights commission website talks about the duty to accommodate meaning, you know, something that's necessary to treat someone differently in order to prevent or reduce discrimination. And in such cases, the duty to accommodate may require that alternative arrangements be made to ensure that a person or group can fully participate. Right. And I thought that is beautiful, right? Yeah. That's just, it's so nicely sums up, you know, this isn't a forever thing, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a point in time Mm -hmm. where we might just need a little bit of grace, right? Absolutely. And I realized too, that women need to be emboldened to ask for these things as well. I think what might be happening is because of the stigma or because this is not a conversation people are used to seeing or hearing out loud, 
women might be retreating without even advocating for these for these changes. And I'm not, I don't have stats on this, but this is just my assumption of what's happening, certainly in some cases, is that I can't hack it. I'm, you know, this is just not the right fit for me right now. I'm going to take a step back. Maybe I need to change employers rather than fighting for those accommodations and recognizing that menopause fits into this category of duty to accommodate. Yeah. 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 100%. You know, I do have a stat actually, it's from the recent report that uh, the Menopause Foundation of Canada put out. And it's estimated that one in 10 women will leave the workforce due to Mm. menopausal symptoms. Like that's one too many. Right? Yeah, like yeah. it's advocating or understanding that you have a place to ask that this isn't a shameful thing that, you know, this is a normal phase of life, folks, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, if it were, sorry, but if, if the shoe was on the other foot and if it were, you know, men facing these challenges, I think the conversation would be very different, right? Absolutely, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, so something else I want to bring up is that Obviously, every kind of accommodation, every accommodation conversation is deeply individualized. It is very personal. And in many workplaces, that's going to mean having a frank conversation, disclosing menopausal or perimenopausal status, talking about symptoms and asking for specific things that you know we might want or need. So how can we make this prospect less terrifying? Yeah. And again, it comes back to education and training, I feel, right. right? Having organizations take the first step in normalizing, hey, this is just, you know, another thing that as humans, we're, we're going to deal with in the workplace, right? So, and it's not just, you know, obviously education for the women experiencing perimenopause and, and menopause symptoms, but it's their managers, it's their colleagues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's their families, right? So, you know, raising awareness, promoting a better understanding of what's happening, all of that goes to reduce the, the stigma around this. And once you reduce the stigma, then you reduce the reluctance yeah. of women, you know, approaching employers saying, hey, I need help, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very personal thing. And, you know, I'm not saying that, this is going to make every single woman want to come forward. I mean, there's just, you know, there's some people who will never advocate for themselves. It's just too personal for whatever reason, right? It doesn't matter. But I think if we can make it better for the majority of women in the workplace, then that's where we need to start. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And obviously with this piece of raising awareness through education among HR professionals and leaders, which is that, you know, that, that piece to make, things more inviting for people to even initiate this conversation. Sometimes it has to just start from, from those places. Where can those people turn for more information about this? Where can that education come from? Yeah. So in my case, I mean, I, um, obviously, you know, you go online and you find out, you know, who's talking about this stuff and because Canada is a little bit behind the UK and Australia, I ended up getting a lot of my information and doing a certification through menopause experts group in the, in the UK. And that group is founded by a woman by the name of Dee Murray and everything they do is dedicated to the subject matter of menopause, right? So their whole mission is to sort of shine a light on a topic that many people obviously still find uncomfortable and, and give women a foundation to learn more about what's happening to their bodies and their minds during, during this phase. Right. So And there are other organizations, obviously, out there that are training. I think, you know, 
like anything else, I liken it to like the fitness world, right? Like there's just so much information out there. So you really have to be careful about, you know, what you're, what you're taking in. In Canada, there are a few people that came onto my radar early in the game who I feel are good sources of information. Okay, Um, great. Dr. Jen Gunter, who's a Canadian OBGYN, she wrote the Menopause Manifesto. And what's interesting, this will sort of, you know, contextualize how starved women are for information about this. So it was released on May 25th of 2021. So fairly recent. It hit the New York Times bestseller list within seven days. Oh, wow. You know, so obviously, right? And it's a great read. Um, There's another woman by the name of Shirley Weir, so also Canadian. She launched a health education platform back in 2012 um, called Menopause Chicks. And it was really to, again, empower women to sort of talk openly about perimenopause and menopause and navigate, you know, all of the health information that's out there, right? She wrote a book called Mokita, which includes guidance from like 13 different women's health professionals. So it's chock-a-block for sure. And then more recently, the Menopause Foundation of Canada was formed, right? So Trish Barbato and Janet Coe founded these organizations. And they're not like, I think Trish is a... um, an accountant by trade, like, you know, again, these are all women who are just like, get hit with this and go, what is going on, right? And I need to figure this out and do something better, right? So the the Menopause Foundation of Canada is a a registered not-for-profit, and it advocates for support that, you know, women need in their menopausal years from the healthcare system, from government, you know, from business, um, the broader community. So they're, you know, really working hard to sort of break the silence and the stigma and improve health equity. And again, my, you know, my little area of passion, you know, creating menopause inclusive workplaces. So they've got a really good report that came out recently called menopause in Canada. It's called the silence and the stigma, and you can download it from their website and it's wonderful. It's a good place to start. Right. Perfect. So I think those three like are who I think of immediately there's, there's tons, right? Like there's tons. And I think you just have to really like anything else, take the information with a grain of salt, understand why these people are doing it. Like I know Shirley from menopause chicks started this platform. Um, and it was all like, it was all free. I think there's some educational training that, that she charges for now, but, um, yeah, I think, yeah, a lot of it was just, you know, we need to do something about this as women and, yeah. and let, so these are our versions. These are our UK versions yeah. of the women who are sort of, you know, standing up the, the yeah. activists. Yeah, Yeah, the advocates and the activists. And I love to see it. Thank you so much for providing, you know, for pointing us to these advocates who have sort of gotten the conversation started here. And I think you yourself are counted in that group as well. And I I really want to thank you for raising this issue, for dedicating your time and energy to amplifying the topic. And it's really great and definitely overdue. So Tara Azale, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to invite our listeners to make sure to check out Tara's work with Clarity Group on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And we'll drop links to all of that in the show notes. And of course, as always, I welcome any of our listeners to reach out to me if you'd like to be a featured guest on the podcast, or if you would like to sneakily nominate someone. You can find my email in the show notes or reach out to me via LinkedIn. I'm Dominique Attrell. Thanks for listening and see you next time on Just One Cue.